And uh, today as we enter into Shabbat, it's another special day for me and my family because my youngest sisters, they're twins, and today they just graduated from boot camp. So <laughs> congrats, Riva and Gita. So 15 days of basic training, and it's finished. And, you know, it, it, this year it was tough for them because they said this year the requirements for physical training for women in the Army were harder than they have ever been. And so they were pretty worried leading up to it. They didn't know if they would graduate. They didn't know if they would make it. But they finished it today. And my mom was all worried, like, what are they going to do to my babies, my youngest two kids? Are they gonna, what's going to happen to them in boot camp? Uh, and it's tough, right? She knows it's tough, but it has to be because the leaders in the military know that the reality is in this world, the military has to face some difficult stuff. They're going to go into situations, they're going to experience things that are really painful, really hard. And if they don't have that training in advance, they're not going to be ready. And so Reva and Gita had a tough week of boot camp, but that's because the reality is their life in the military is going to have difficulties. And this is what uh, last week Justin spoke about at service, how do we handle difficulties in life? And it was a fitting time to do it because last week we commemorated Tisha B'Av, uh, which is a Jewish day that commemorates some tragedies in Jewish history. You know, it's been on the ninth of Av, on Tisha B'Av, that horrible things have happened throughout history. The final solution in Nazi Germany was approved of on the ninth of Av. Uh, on the ninth of Av, the, the Jewish ghetto in Warsaw was emptied to send them to concentration camps. It was on the ninth of Av that the Jewish people were expelled from England hundreds of years ago and from Spain. It was on the ninth of Av that the first and the second temples were destroyed. A lot of tragedies have happened on that day. And as I think about that day, I can't help but think about Daniel. Because Daniel lived through that destruction of the first temple. And so that's what I want to look at with you, all of you tonight, is on the book of Daniel. Because as we look at that book, he's a person who had to survive a lot of upheaval in his life. The book of Daniel begins, and it says the Nebuchadnezzar came into Israel. It pillaged the city of Jerusalem. And it says as they took the best things from the temple to bring into the house of their gods in Babylon. And it says that when they came into the land, they also looked for smart, good-looking, hard-working Jewish boys to put them into the Babylonian government. And as they went and they wanted to take some of the best, most promising young people from the land of Israel, they took Daniel. And when Daniel went to Babylon, uh, this wasn't an amazing promotion into the government. This wasn't a great thing. This was Jerusalem had been ransacked by Babylon. People had been killed. People had been put into exile. And now they had grabbed him and brought him to Babylon. He had been stripped of his family, stripped of his culture, stripped of his homeland. The, the dreams he had for his life, those were now going to be over. And he was now going to live in exile in Babylon. And it wasn't just his life that had been turned upside down. It was the entire nation. The Jewish people were where now had lost their sovereignty. Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon just put in a pawn, a puppet, to be the king of Judah. And so they were now under the control of a brutal dictator whose empire had included the entire Middle East. And it is in the midst of this upheaval, in the midst of this uncertainty about the future, in the midst of this hostility and difficulty, 
that Daniel lives his life. And as we look at this book of Daniel, the amazing thing is that in every situation, in every vision that Daniel interprets, in every dream that he interprets, in every story in this book, there is one core message. God still reigns. And his message is for the Jewish people who are now facing oppression, for the Jewish people who are now in diaspora, for the Jewish people who are wondering, are we ever going to come back into the land? Are we ever going to have freedom again? His message to them in this book is God still reigns. And in the government in Babylonia, where he is now there living and where he's working for some of the greatest, most powerful kings in the world, from the greatest kings of Babylon to the greatest kings of Persia, his message to them is that you might think you are great, you might think you have all this power, that you can control our lives and nations and cities with just the whim and just turning of your hand, but there is a king above you, and God still reigns. And as Tisha B'Av just happened last week, I just felt the book of Daniel be impressed upon me. And so tonight we're going to begin a series looking at the book of Daniel. And so tonight we're going to start, and so if you want to turn with me over to Daniel chapter 1, it talks about there how Daniel is taken from Jerusalem because he came from one of the royal and noble families, how he's taken from Jerusalem and brought to Babylon. And it talks about that upheaval, but it was worse than I actually thought. When I originally looked up Daniel, I, what I thought was when Nebuchadnezzar came in and he destroyed the first temple, that's when he grabbed Daniel. But the interesting thing is that's not exactly what happened. It, it seems even worse to me. Ne Nebuchadnezzar came one time before that because the Jewish people had stopped paying their taxes and tribute to Babylon. And so Nebuchadnezzar came in and he sieged the city and that's when he grabbed Daniel. And it wasn't until 10 years later that he came back into the land of Judah and destroyed the temple. And so for me, what that means is Daniel had been taken 10 years before the destruction of the temple. So by the time the temple was destroyed, Daniel was a government official in Babylon. He was there in the seat of power, watching as Nebuchadnezzar and the other leaders marched into Jerusalem to destroy it, and there was nothing he could do about it. He had seen his family been torn apart. He had seen the upheaval that had happened the first time. And now when the first temple is destroyed, he sits in Babylon, knowing that the armies of the government that he's a part of is marching to Jerusalem to burn down the temple and destroy the city. And I can't imagine what is going through Daniel's head. I can't imagine the pain of his life as he sees his life unravel, as he sees his country torn apart, as he sees his world fall apart. And yet, even in the midst of that, the first thing I see about Daniel's life, the first thing that I see is that in the midst of that, he chooses to live different. And so as we begin this series on the book of Daniel tonight, the first lesson I see is that when faced with choices, check other. It says that Daniel lived a different life, that he was different. In Hebrew, that word for different or set apart is kadosh, holy. And it has to do with being completely other, completely different 
than everything else. That in this world, we have government leaders, we have fathers, and yet when we look at God, God is our father, God is our king. He is completely other, he is different, he is holy. And that's how Daniel chooses to live. It says in, uh, it says in Daniel that when they gathered them over to Babylon, it says, we'll begin in verse 3. So Daniel chapter 1 and verse 3, it says that the king told the chief of his officials to bring the sons of Israel from royal descent, youth without defect, handsome, wise, knowledgeable, and he was going to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. And it says the king allotted to them a daily portion of the king's delicacies and from the wine that he drank and they were to be trained for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. And so Daniel is taken to join the government of Babylon, and it's like law school today, three years of training, and then he's going to join the government. And it says, you know, it's, it's this difficult time in Daniel's life, stripped from his family, stripped from his homeland, and yet maybe one of the perks is it says they got the best food in the land, right? They got to eat off the king's menu. To me, I looked up this year the best steakhouses in Tampa, and I think it was a tie between Burns and Charlie's. And that's what I pictured that Daniel had, right? The best steak in all the Middle East, right? The finest of wines, the best desserts, right? The dessert room in Burns Steakhouse didn't compare to what Daniel had. But the problem, first problem was that it wasn't kosher, and it was probably sacrificed to gods and idols in Babylon. And so it's this amazing food, and yet when presented with this food, when presented with this choice of what to eat, Daniel checks other. And he goes up to the lead official and tells them that he cannot eat it, and so he asks for permission to go on a vegan diet for 10 days to show them that he'll be okay even if he doesn't eat the best food that they have from the king's menu. And they're worried that he's going to get scrawny and weak, but 10 days after the vegan diet turns out him, and his, uh, and his posse, the, the three other Jewish guys with him, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're better looking, stronger, beating everybody else. And so everybody's put on that vegan diet, which I'm sure they weren't too happy about. But when faced with these choices, right, it says they sent him over to learn the culture and the literature and the language of the Chaldeans and the Babylonians. And yet in the midst of that, he says, this culture that I'm now in is not of God but I'm going to choose to check other. I'm going to choose to live differently. Because he realized that food is not just about food. This wasn't just about eating steak versus going vegan. This was about more than that. Because in the scriptures, we see that when God talks about food or drink or the days of the week, it's not just about food. It's about a bigger lesson. Eating the king's food was not just about nourishing his body. It was about his identity. In Leviticus 11, that's where it talks about keeping kosher. And over and over again in that chapter, it says, I am the Lord your God, so set apart yourselves and be holy because I am holy. It's not just about food. It's not just about which animals choose its cut. It's not just about which animals have a splitted hook. He knew, Daniel knew there was a bigger thing going on and that the food that he ate was about his identity. It was about was he a Babylonian or was he a servant of the God of Israel? And like it says in Leviticus 11 and 20, he knew that because God was holy, he was called to live a life that was holy, a life that was completely other, a life that was different. 
And so for him, as he ate these different foods, it was a daily reminder of his identity. It was a daily reminder of who he was and how God saw him. And so it says that Daniel resolved in his heart not to defile himself with the king's food, not to defile himself in the country that he's in, but he's going faced with choices. He's going to choose other. He's going to choose to follow God. And no matter the difficulties that he's facing, no matter the pressure that he's facing, no matter the temptation that he's facing, he's going to choose to follow God. And keeping kosher was just a reminder of that. And the question for us today is that are we living lives that are completely other? Lives that are set apart, holy and distinct, because our God calls us to be holy like he's holy. It says in scripture not to say no to the desires of impulses of the flesh and to like Daniel, to, resol to resolve not to defile ourselves. But the question is this, the question is in life, when we have to make choices, right, to follow God because he still reigns, or if we're going to choose to follow our own way, when we have those choices, how do we choose the right thing? How do we, how do we change when it's difficult to change? And as we look at that, the interesting thing is what people have found in sociology, what people have found in psychology, and what people have found in theology, it all lines up with this. We change based on our identity. I was just reading this week from uh, a sociologist named Dr. George Yancey, and he's a professor at Baylor University. And he was writing this week about racism and, and, and white fragility and everything going on in the country. And he talked about looking at it through a biblical lens, because he's a believer, but also looking at it through a research lens of what's evidence-based. And it was really interesting to me, because one of the things he mentioned is he says, a lot of when people are looking at issues in society today, they're looking at it through the lens of critical theory or cultural Marxism. And he says, but the issue is they've used this to say, okay, how do we address racism? And he says, as a sociologist, I look at America, and he says, I look at the church, and he says, from the stories that we see from looking at the statistics, white supremacy and racism exist. They're here. He says, but the issue is that people have been trying to solve them through critical theory and through cultural Marxism. And he says, but the interesting thing is, as he looks at it as a sociologist, it's not working. He said, when you look at the studies of implicit bias and diversity training, he says, the interesting thing is it's saddening. It's not very effective. And he said, but there is a more biblical way to address this and a more evidence-based way. And what he said was, it comes down to group identity. He says, it's not enough just to have information. You can have trainings on diversity, trainings on sensitivity, but if you want to experience true change, he says it comes down to group identity. He says when you look at somebody else, do you see them as an outsider? Do you see them as us versus them? Or do you have this sense that we have this shared group identity? And he said what truly produces change is when we look at somebody else and we say this person is made in the image of God. When we look at somebody else and says, this person may look different from me, and this person may believe differently from me, but this person is a child of God and my brother and sister and Messiah. And he says, when you understand that you have the same group identity, it ch that's what produces change. Information and legislation are needed, but they're not enough. What we really need here 
is group identity. When you have that, that's what produces change. And so he saw that as he looked at sociology. When you want to make choices to check other, it came down to group identity. And another thing I was looking at a few years ago, of okay, how do I build good habits? And the interesting thing I found was, this is from James Clear, and he does research on the psychology of when we want to change habits, when we want to stop bad habits, when we want to start good habits, what's the best way to do it? How do we make the habits go down deep and truly become a part of us rather than something we do for a few days, a few weeks, a few months, and then drop off? And in it, he has these three circles. On the outer circle, the weakest is your appearance, the middle circle, your performance, and the, and the inner circle is your identity. And he says, when we try to make changes, when we try to make choices based on how others perceive us or what our appearance is like, it's the most superficial level of change. You can try to do it. You can say, okay, I want to lose 10 pounds because I want people to perceive me better, but it's the weakest level of change. He says, then you can go to performance-based change, which says, okay, I want to do 100 push-ups in a row. That's my goal, right? I want to be able to perform. I want to be able to do this. And he says, when you try to make change based on performance, it goes deeper than appearance. But he says, the deepest change is when it's rooted in your identity. That this is what I do because this is the, because this is the person that I am, right? I eat vegetables. I work out each day because I am a healthy person. And when you try to make choices and changes based on your identity, it goes deeper. It goes deeper. I was reading this week from some neural theologians, and what they looked at is it's not just in sociology, it's not just in psychology, but this is throughout Scripture. And they were looking at the writings of Rabbi Paul. And to put it in a nerd speak, in a biblical scholarship, they say indicatives always come before imperatives. First, God says, you are, and then he says, you shall. That first, it begins with identity. And I just want to look at two scriptures with us. And when we say, how do we make the right choices? How do we follow Yeshua when it's difficult? Daniel did not give in to the pressure of the culture around him. He didn't give in to the temptation around him, but he chose God. And the question is, how do we do that today? And it's interesting as we look at these two verses in scripture. One, the first is from 1 Corinthians 5, 7. And when you look at that verse, it says, you are really unleavened. Therefore, cleanse out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, right? This is about Passover, right? About chametz, about leaven. And he's saying, he's saying, you are unleavened, right? You are holy and pure and innocent in God's eyes. Therefore, cleanse out and remove from yourself what's of the old nature because it's not who you truly are. The identity comes first before the choices. And if we want to make the right choices, if we want to make the right changes, it begins with identity. You have this identity, Messiah. Therefore, you'll stop doing the things that are not a part of who you truly are. And you'll choose choices that align with your identity and reinforce your identity. And then this other verse, uh, these verses from Galatians 5, verses 16 and 24, it says, those who belong to Messiah Yeshua have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Therefore, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Right? He's saying you want to walk by the Spirit. You want to say no to those impulses that are not of God. But what does it say first? You belong to Messiah. 
I was, I was reading, uh, like I mentioned, from these neural theologians, and they said when we look at what produces change, we usually think the, the equation is that reason plus reason plus willpower equals change, right? We think if I can reason myself, okay, I'm going to do it because of this, right? If we can think through it right, and if we can muster up enough willpower, we'll change. But he says that when you look at it through both the scriptures and through science, that the formula is not reason plus willpower equals change. It's identity plus belonging equals change. Right, the verses that we looked at, it says, you are unleavened, therefore remove what's not of God. Right, the next verse in Galatians, right, you belong to Messiah, therefore say no to what's of the old nature. Identity and belonging. That when we know our identity and belonging, then when faced with choices, we'll choose, we'll other, we'll check other, we'll choose to be different. And it says that Daniel resolved not to defile himself because he knew his identity, because he knew who his God was and that he belonged to him. And that in that culture where they gave them these unkosher foods, he said, I choose not to because of who I am in the God of Israel, because I belong to him. And in our lives, this is what it comes down to. We want to choose to follow God. We want to choose him. But it comes down to this identity and belonging. It comes down to the good news. That the message of the scriptures is not just try harder to do what's right. The message of the scriptures is not just moralistic uh, therapy, right? That if you want a better life, just do good stuff. The message of the scriptures is that in Yeshua, because of his death and resurrection, that we are united with him. When we trust in King Yeshua, we are united with him, attached to him, and we have a new identity in him. The old has gone, the new has come. And that the guilt, the shame, and the fear of the past is wiped away. And our identity is not in our past behavior. Our identity is not in the thoughts swirling around in our minds. Our identity is not in the feelings we're currently experiencing. Our identity is in Yeshua. And that when we are in Yeshua and we belong to him, when we know that we belong to King Yeshua and we belong to his kingdom and to his family, it changes the way we look at these situations. It changes the way we think, the way we feel. That, we, that the scripture is not asking us to muster up enough willpower or to think enough thoughts to be smart enough to figure it out. But that if we will trust in Yeshua and find our identity and belonging in him and allow that to go deep, to listen to scripture, to meditate on that truth about our identity and belonging, to listen to the Holy Spirit as he's causing us to rethink things and to challenge us about our identity and belonging. And as we functionally trust in Yeshua for identity and belonging, then when faced with choices in life, we can choose other like Daniel did. The message of Daniel for us today is that in the midst of the choices we have to make in life, in the midst of the pressure, in the midst of the temptation, in the midst of the unheaval, upheaval and uncertainty, God still reigns. And because our identity is in King Yeshua, when faced with choices, we can choose other. And so as we continue this service and worship, let this be a time where we allow 
this message to sink in, to allow the truth of Scripture, to say, God, okay, I will allow you to define my identity. I'll let go of the things that I have held on to define myself and choose to allow you to define me. That as I've searched for belonging through the choices that I've made, instead I'm going to choose to rest in the fact that I belong to you and your family. And as we do this, we can experience this change and transformation in our lives. That God still reigns. And because of Yeshua, we can experience his reigning and his redemption in our lives. And so I'll pray for us. Father, I thank you that you reign. In the midst of tragedy, you reign. In the midst of craziness and chaos and uncertainty, you reign. And God, we say yes to you. Yes to allowing Yeshua to define our identity and to give us belonging. Thank you that we are holy because you are holy. And help us to follow the example of Daniel because you still reign in the 21st century today. In Yeshua's name, amen.